Hello, my name is Max Kirkham, and I'm the executive producer for It's Personal. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with my friend Celestial Zenith about her performance from our survival show in May 2020. Recounting the final weeks and moments of her dad's life, Celestial's raw, emotional, powerful performance reminds us that, in so many ways, death is much more than an ending. Please note, the content in this episode may be difficult for some of our listeners. Discretion is advised. Okay, let's get personal. I really, really, really want to forget it. That is. I turned 32 last year, and the day after my birthday, my dad went into hospice care. We don't know how he did it, (laughs) because he had been at home for weeks, but he took it upon himself to drive to a friend's house and get stranded. He couldn't move. Uh, You see his terminal cancer had started to close around his pulmonary artery, his heart. And my siblings and I, we didn't have the financial means to take care of him on our own. I really hope you've never been in a hospice and it fucking blows. Like, uh, my dad, he lived up in the San Francisco Bay Area and with my siblings. And I drove up that weekend uh, from LA. And the only thing that I could focus on was the fact that my big brother had told me that the nurses wouldn't let my dad have a beer, so to bring a six pack. And so I stopped at the gas station on the way up and picked up what I thought to be one of his favorite brews. And then I just drove. I drove that six hours straight, straight to the hospice. And I walked in the front door and I asked for my dad, Steven Erickson Zenith. He was in his room, sitting in a wheelchair, wearing one of those generic white hospital gowns. I started shaking. Imagine with me seeing the strongest person you know diminished to a fucking gown that doesn't even have a back. And so I immediately grab a beer and I just barrel straight into the room. Dad, dad, I have a beer. <laughs> the only thing I could focus on Uh, but I don't have a beer opener, a bottle opener, I don't know, whatever. But I bought you a beer. My dad just turned around and he couldn't move. But his eyes, his eyes were so fucking bright. And he immediately smiled at me and I think I wanted to cry. (laughs) 
But all I could focus on was trying to open this beer. You see, um, my dad's cancer had taken his voice box months before. And so he could only say one word at a time, and then he would have to take a breath. Uh, he raised me singing, singing me to sleep. <laughs> I don't remember what that sounds like. But he just looked at me as I kept trying to open this goddamn beer. Finally, finally I opened it. And as the blood just starts to pour from my hands, because obviously my dad's eyes are wide and I handed it to him and I watched as he took a swig and he immediately just starts choking and I flip out because fuck, it's the fucking beer that's gonna kill him, not the cancer, of course. My luck. <laughs> oh God, he was fine in that moment. You know, he turned and said one word at a time. I love you. And that, that's what started my siblings and I's plan to jailbreak him from hospice care. I won't, I won't get into how, but we were basically able to wheel him out and into an Airbnb within two hours of me arriving that day. And the doctors had recommended that we wait a day, but I simply asked, would you, if you thought your dad was going to die tonight, would you? And she immediately helped us jailbreak him. I remember driving the car up to the side of the hospice and getting him in it and then seeing these two older folks just wheel themselves out into the street, uh, heading towards the Starbucks or so it seemed. And we had started a small uprising. They looked so happy. My siblings and I, we just laughed and we drove. That week was a lot of firsts for me. My dad asked me not to leave the Airbnb for anything. So I spent seven days straight by his side caring for him with my family. In and out of sleep. To be honest, I don't think I slept for seven days. My mom came by. Having been in the same room with my dad for over 15 years. And I don't think she knows this, but I heard her say to him, and it's, this is the first time it's actually coming outside of my head, but she goes, Stephen, this isn't fair on the children. Please, you have to let go. It's okay for yourself, but most of all, for them.
my little brother and I, we drank. Oh, we drank a lot. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, my dad, every moment he was cohesive, he would ask for a cider. Golden State cider. Extra dry. <laughs> the smell is hard for me. Um, but I keep it in my fridge at all times for those moments I want to drink in his honor. Oh, I mean, you can guess he's dead already, right? <laughs> I left that Sunday evening. He was definitely waiting for me not to be there. I got the call at 1 a.m. Monday morning, 10 days after my birthday. I hung up the phone. I didn't really have any more tears, I guess. <laughs> and I waited for him to show up. It was weird. It was as if I knew he'd want to make sure I was okay. Uh, my dad didn't want to die. He fought for his life until his very last breath. Some of you might know grief and depression as personally as I do. All of our stories will be different, but <laughs> I actually talk to grief now. <laughs> oh, hi there, grief. How you doing? I'm actually, despite, I'm actually doing really good right now. <laughs> so if you don't mind staying home, that'd be great, thanks. And I am. Every single day is hard. However, I'm genuinely doing really good right now. It just takes a lot more work for me to be doing really good. So I survived that every single day. Hmm. So pandemic? I don't know. I'm doing okay right now in the grand scheme of it all. Hi, Celestial. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to It's Personal, the podcast. Uh, this was your first piece that you did with It's Personal? It was, yeah. This was my first piece that I did with you guys. That's fantastic. Now, I, I, I want to start... I wanted to start just by thanking you for sharing such a, an, an emotional and a raw piece um, and for being so vulnerable with this story. Um, and I thought before we really dug into the kind of the meat and I thought that I might ask you kind of like a, a kind of a sideways question. Mm -hmm. um, this piece is really about, you know, your survival through the loss of your dad. Mm -hmm. And I know that uh, if I had written a piece like this, um, because my father has also passed away, as you know, yeah. um, that I would want, I wouldn't want 
this piece necessarily to be how the world kind of remembers my dad. Right. Um, so I was wondering if you might share like a, a special moment or a fun memory with uh, Stephen Erickson Zenith that <laughs> Zenith isn't connected. Zenith, excuse me, you've corrected me before. No worries. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, that isn't connected to his passing away. Yeah. Um... I mean, God, there's so many. Uh, the most recent one that comes to mind is my dad lived in, uh, oh my God, where did he live? He lived in the Santa Cruz Hills, so Los Gatos. Mm, yeah. We would always meet up at, by this brewery when I would visit the Bay Area. I'm, I'm based in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. And, um, right. and there was this one night that my um, sister and my older brother and my little brother all met with my dad to just like have a beer we're all english as you know hence us always meeting Mm -hmm. to have a beer um and (laughs) (laughs) it was just like this i mean it was a moment with my dad but it was also just a moment with my family and i i think it was the first time all five of us were at the same table in i don't even know how long in like 10 years and the joy that I saw on my dad's face and like I have this boomerang that I took of us all like clinking our beers together and it was just like I don't know it it was a really fun evening I don't know it was great that's beautiful thank you (laughs) I yeah (laughs) why, why did you choose to talk about this for survival this, you hear the word survival and you think of the hardest thing you've ever survived and that was it. Um, it wasn't hard, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I don't know, for me, like, yes, it's grief and, and you know, depression and, you know, the, the loss of someone you love, but I don't have a hard time talking about it. I actually think, if anything, talking about it has made it easier and has made me understand it and has made me find camaraderie with others like yourself Mm -hmm. who are in the no dad club or the no parent club, uh, which by the way, you don't want to be a part of. (laughs) (laughs) You say it much nicer than I do. (laughs) But hey, here we are. And like fortunate for us, uh, there's some good people in the club. I'm sure. When when we did survival, it was May of 2020. So it we had just passed mm-hmm. just over a year, if I'm not mistaken, about 14 months since your dad's passing. A little over a year, yeah. So my dad passed 10 days after my birthday, which was March 16th. Or his death was on March 26, 2019. What a weird yeah. timing. I know we've discussed this before yeah. as well, that your dad passed uh, 10 days after your birthday and mine passed... 11 days before my birthday and I know that that Isn't has it weird it is it's strange yes that we then like found each other and like have become friends yeah and I was just wondering like have you felt that your birthday has changed oh yes a hundred percent also ironically the next year was the pandemic and right. shutdown started on my birthday <laughs> and so I was like okay so first my dad dies, and now the whole world goes into a pandemic. Who knows what is going to happen this March? <laughs> oh, God, don't say that. Knock on wood. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Knock on wood. Um, but I March is not a good month for me now. Mm. And I really want it to be. I want to be able to enjoy enjoy my birthday. And I, I my nephew's birthdays are around the same time as well. Um, but I don't know why it felt so significant when I was like, wow, it was 10 days after my birthday. Like this moment of joy that was supposed to happen you know, completely detoured. Yeah, for sure. 
You you mentioned like almost right near the beginning of your piece, you say, I'll never forget that reek. I really want to. Mm-hmm. Can I ask why you, you want to forget it? Uh, it was the hardest week of my life. I had to do a lot that I think is really, you know, only somebody who has experienced will ever understand. Um, but caring for somebody who is dying of cancer um, in a home without any nurses is a lot. I think, you know, there was multiple times that my father would wake up in the middle of the night and try to stand up and walk to the bathroom. And I would have to come and try to grab him. And and my father is six foot four and quite a large man. And I would have to start screaming for my brother to come and help me because I couldn't physically carry him. And and so it's like, you know, little things like that, that now you can like visually laugh at because you're like, wow, that was kind of a slapstick hilarious moment. But in the moment, it's not that funny. Um, And then just like things like, I don't know, I didn't sleep barely at all. And I definitely started to get delusional and, you know, just a lot of stuff. It's still, I mean, I hate to use the word PTSD lightly. I don't use it lightly. And I I understand people who struggle from very, very severe. I think it's a matter of degrees for sure. Uh, Yeah. I would love to just remember the good. I think that's kind of where our our paths diverge a little bit is that, you know, you're your dad took a minute and my mind was a little more sudden. So I, mm-hmm. I, I thank you for kind of explaining that because from where I come from, like I, I wouldn't want to forget it at all because that period was so short for oh, me. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Did, did your family know that you were planning to talk about this? Did they know? Did you talk to them beforehand or did you tell them like come and... Yes, 100%. I texted my siblings and I texted my mom. I essentially, actually my older brother did not attend the performance because uh, he he understood what I was going to be talking about and he, he couldn't. Uh, my brother, he's a musician and he, he actually later on wrote a song about my dad, which um, we still, we share with each other, but we're very patient and just like, hey, if you're ready, like this is a piece I wrote about, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I just shared it with them and told them, if you want to come, you can come. And if you don't, and the rest of my siblings did come. My little brother texted me crying so (laughs) I guess it was a good response (laughs) yeah oh did they have like input or did you have to ask them for kind of to jog your memory of anything no I remember everything everything is crisp and clear you know yeah um, absolutely in the past I've written about other experiences Mm -hmm. that have been pretty hard for me and They've always came and saw it and been supportive. So it's good to have a, a good, strong family unit, especially going through something like this. It is, yeah. Um, you know, one of the one of my favorite parts about your piece is kind of the moments of like dark humor. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hard not to make it through a moment like this. I know I certainly had some of that gallows humor as well. Yeah. But like two jokes in particular, you talk about like how uh, it's the beer that's going to kill him. We're just my luck. Yeah. Or uh, where you and your siblings did that jailbreak from the hospice and you did that little aside to talk about the two wheelchair bound people who had like made a break for the Starbucks. Has that been a big part of how you've kind of coped with the aftermath? Just kind of finding... I mean- that's just me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. I've like, I've always had very cross, dry, dark humor and it really comes naturally. I mean, like 
I wrote a piece year not to take it away from this piece, but I wrote a piece years ago um, that was a one woman show about my divorce, and that is chock full of dry humor. <laughs> so yeah, I I definitely use it for sure as a coping mechanism. I know that. But my sister told me the other day, or not the other day, she's been telling me repeatedly for the last couple years that she immediately saw Fleabag. You know Fleabag. Yes, I do, of course. Before I had seen it, uh-huh. my sister called me and essentially was like, Celestio, you're Fleabag. <laughs> Go watch this show. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I watched it. And of course, like TMI, but the first episode, she does anal. <laughs> and I was like, okay. That's not completely me. <laughs> but well, if there wasn't already a warning at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> there's definitely going to be one now. <laughs> uh, but yes, so dry sense of humor. Definitely use it to cope with my father's death, but I also just in general use it to cope with life. Yeah, sure, sure. Or let me go a different way. Do you, you talk at one point in the piece about how you talk to grief? Do you, do you still talk to grief? And these days, oh, yeah. what does that conversation sound like? I So I explain it this way. Grief to me, and my friend actually sent this to me, so I'm, I'll give her credit. But I, I was trying to explain to friends who have, have never experienced uh, a loss of this degree. Mm-hmm. And the majority, and I, I, I trust you are familiar with this, most of the people who understand it, only people who have gone through it. And so I can definitely see people who empathize, but it's never the same as talking to someone who's actually experienced it. So I, I found this graphic that explained grief and depression, that grief is like a ball in your, in your body, right? And there's this button and the button is grief. And when the person or the thing or the trauma just happened, that ball that's bouncing around in you is huge. So it's constantly hitting that Mm -hmm. button. And it's like an extreme, like, you know, reaction. Now, as time passes, the ball gets smaller. But when it hits the button, it feels exactly the same way. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good way of putting it. So it maybe doesn't hit the button as often, you don't feel it as often, but that ball is still bouncing around in you and that button is still there. So anytime my button gets hit, I still talk to grief. Mm-hmm. And, and usually it does kind of go, you know, like I'll wake up in the morning and I'll just be like, hey, like, not today. <laughs> like I've, <laughs> I've got some stuff to do. And, you know, it's turned into me talking to my mm-hmm. cat, but it, de- it definitely um, is a continuing yeah. conversation and... Honestly, it helps me. I don't yeah, know. I mean, that, I, I think that, that makes sense. I think it's not only natural for us to try and kind of find ways to talk our way through it. Um, yeah, it's funny. Mine always, it's like I'm in the middle of the grocery store and I go and all of a sudden I remember it's like a box of crackers yeah. and all of a sudden you're just like sobbing in the middle of the aisle at the grocery yeah. store. Oh, 100%. There's this place in Burbank and this is so silly because my dad didn't spend much time in L.A., but the year before his death, he would come down and visit me. And there's this hotel that he stayed at, and it was the most depressing hotel. <laughs> and I remember, like, going to him to, like, hang out with him and come pick him up. I was working, so I couldn't, like, be with him that much. Every time I pass that hotel, I'm just like, oh, God, I'm never going to Burbank. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, yeah. 
You have this interesting dichotomy near the end of the piece where you talk about how every day is still hard, but you also talk about how you're doing okay mm-hmm. right now, like yeah. in terms of the pandemic. Are you still kind of living with that dichotomy where it's like every day is hard, but you're okay? Yeah, I think at the time of my piece, like I, I the way I say it is every day is hard. So it takes a lot more for me to be good. Hmm. Essentially, when I was telling that story, I was new to navigating grief and depression. So every day was hard and every day still is hard. But the tactics I use to navigate are coming more habitual. Mm. So it still is if I miss one thing that I do that kind of like supports my mood. Or, you know, maybe today I don't talk to grief, you know, or whatever it is. Um, I definitely do notice a difference in my mood. Yeah. I used to have a lot of like, I guess I would call them like PTSD moments where I'd be like standing somewhere and I would like see ghosts. And like, it usually was just like memories Mm. or fractions of memories and they would like jar me. And like, that doesn't happen anymore Um, I do still feel like every day is a little harder, but now all of the good work that I did to kind of keep myself in check has become just a part of my existence and my, you know, my day-to-day routine. For sure. Um, And so it's definitely not as hard as it was back then. That makes sense. I I really identify with seeing ghosts and like having the, there's been a few instances where I've like felt his presence like uh-huh. next to me and it's always a jarring moment um what was it like writing this piece and actually like preparing it for rehearsals did you have to refine it over time or what w- did it like come as one thing right at the beginning okay so <laughs> i didn't really rehearse it uh <laughs> <laughs> writing the piece was easy i am a writer Um, Mm -hmm. So when I go through traumatic events, I write. So when they were like survival, I was like, I know exactly what I want to talk about. And so like I sat down and I was like, Um, I'm sorry, you were like, what? (laughs) I see. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, Liz and Riley were fantastic in the sense that like there were a few moments in there. I had a few paragraphs. One was associated with when I went back to work because my father died on Monday and I went back to work on Monday. On Monday? And, wow. Oh, yeah, it was the worst decision of my life. Um, and Riley saw me that day at work. And I still remember messing up wine service and my manager looking at me and just going, you don't really care, do you? And I was like, nope, don't give a shit. <laughs> Who gives a fuck? My dad's dead. <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> Oh, hard mood, hard mood. Yeah, so they, uh, there was like a little chunk in there about that. There was like a couple other chunks. The way it got fine-tuned is just I read through it again and was like, you know what, this seems more natural for mm. me to say or whatever. Because usually you type it out first and then when you actually start talking it, you're like, who would say it like that? No one. <laughs> I read it with Liz and I read it with Riley 
And I think I rehearsed it one more time. Mm-hmm. Because this one is one that you don't really need to dig too deep for. Yeah, it's really right there on the surface, isn't it? It's right there on the surface. And I was like, honestly, it would do more harm than good for me to try to make something seem rehearsed. I was yeah. like, I would much rather just my natural response to the story. And, and, and you do, you, like you've already said, I mean, this is already so crystal clear. Um, you know, a- anytime I listen to someone else talking about their experience with their father passing away, it, it, I mean, very obviously brings up memories. And I found myself choking up during your piece. You know, you really do come very close to tears in your piece. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm grateful that you were willing to go there and you were able to go there, but yet <laughs> keep going <Yeah. laughs> with your piece at the same time. Uh, I have two final questions for you. Okay. <laughs> the first is, um, do you still keep Golden State Cider in your fridge? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You definitely need a beer to talk about this. Yeah. Um, I do keep Golden State in my fridge. Actually, this is a cute story. Uh-huh. The corner shop by my apartment, I randomly said to like the owner, and they just know me because you know, I've lived here six years. I walk in you know, once a week or so, and it's like a little family that owns it. Right. And I just was like, oh, I wish you had Golden State Cider. Literally the next month, they started carrying it. And then I walked in and they didn't have it. And the guy was like, oh, no, I saved you a four pack. (gasps) Oh. And he brought it out for me because he knew I would always come in and just buy Golden State Cider. Now, isn't that just the sweetest thing? Isn't that just? And he doesn't know why. He has no idea. (laughs) Yeah. He's just being nice. Yeah, he was just being nice. Wait, I think you have to, like, shout out. Do you know the name of the store? It's called the Virgil Market. Okay. And it's just these lovely, this lovely little family that own it. And I'm like, you guys are great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, final question. Um, you know, we end each of these episodes kind of referencing the theme of the show. So the question is either how are you surviving or it's what piece of advice do you have for survival at this point? Oh, God. Uh, I think laughter is amazing. One of my favorite moments of the piece, (laughs) I say, um, you know, I keep a Golden State Cider in my fridge at all times to drink in honor of my dad. And then I very randomly just look at the camera and go, because we all know he's dead, right? (laughs) And, you know, I say it in jest, but obviously (laughs) there's a lot more under that. I don't know. It's just you got to laugh. And then honestly... People talk a lot about self-love and self-care, but I think a lot of people don't actually understand what that means. What do you think it means? I don't think it's about bubble baths, treating yourself, um, you know, getting your nails done, getting your hair done. Of course, yeah, that's great. Like, do all those things. For sure. But it's about crying when you want to cry. It's about telling your friends that, you know, like, I'm depressed right now. I may not respond, but still text me. Absolutely. It's about actually listening to yourself. I don't know. This is all very esoteric and <laughs> convoluted. No, I think, it's, I think it's very smart and very uh, on the point, especially for someone who has dealt with such a, a great loss. I think one of the ways I made it through was just being open and honest. I mean, I walked out of the, I walked out of the, like after the memorial service when the whole family and all the friends and everything was at the house afterwards, I left. I looked at my stepmom and was like, I can't, I can't do this. Oh God. 
Yeah. This was, that was it. Yeah. There was a moment with, um, uh, I had to drive back to Los Angeles cause I, I wasn't, I wasn't in the house when he passed away. And I, I, I think I say that I, I'm pretty sure he waited for me to, to leave. You did. Yeah. My dad did the same thing. Yeah. Like, and I, I've talked to several people who have had their parents pass away, um, since they all say the same thing. Like people know who they want to die around and they will wait. And so, you know, it was my little brother, my older brother, and um, my mother-in-law. And I remember leaving, like I said, you know, my thing to my dad. And then I, I leave the bedroom and I was like, okay, I'm going to like, I'm going to drive back to LA. And I literally burst. Mm. I've never burst into such a hysterical crying fit in my life that I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. I couldn't breathe. I was like, and Debbie, my, my mother-in-law was like, you can stay, just stay, fuck work. Like, don't go to work, just stay. Like, it's okay, blah, blah, blah. And I knew in my heart, I was like, I have to go. I need to leave yeah. right now. And like, I still think it was the right thing to do. And I, I'm glad that I left, but yeah, it's very, it's just being honest with those moments. And yeah, my advice is laugh. Don't drink too much beer because you don't want to get too <laughs> too attached. <laughs> and yeah, just listen to yourself and honor that. Yeah. Well, Celestial, thank you again for being as vulnerable as you were uh, and for sharing such an intimate part of your life. Um, and thanks for joining me on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, of course. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. It's Personal is a live storytelling show with a twist. You can find tickets to future shows in the 2021 season at itspersonalonstage.com or in the link in our Instagram bio at itspersonalonstage. While you're on our website, take a second to catch up with our blog, sign up for a class or two, invest in a membership and explore our store for the coolest merch in town. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.